welcome to the Education Innovators Podcast. I'm Eric Byron, and it's an honor to host this show where we get to hear from talented educators who are willing to share their stories of the incredible things they are doing in learning environments all over the world. Right? It's not like at EA or in the movies where I work, where you have large teams and you work together. Here, you're kind of like an independent contractor within the university, within the academy, doing your thing. That was the voice of Andre Thomas, who tells us about his transition from doing special effects for movies like Men in Black, Con Air, Independence Day, Valiant, Ant Bully, and Tomorrow Never Dies, and then in the video game industry before taking on his current role at Texas A&M University. I had the privilege to work with Andre at EA, making some of the most successful sports video games of all time. This episode is part one of my conversation with Andre. We're going to hear about the amazing educational games he's developed over the last 10 or so years. Welcome, Andre Thomas, to the Education Innovators podcast. I'm going to read your bio because it's so impressive and I don't want to butcher it. Andre Thomas, passion for the game-based learning resonates inside and outside of the classroom. A graduate of the LCAD MFA in game design, Andre is currently pursuing a PhD in curriculum and instruction. Andre founded and serves as the director of the Live Lab in the School of Performance, Visualization, and Fine Arts at Texas A&M University, where he also teaches game design, game development, and interactive graphic techniques. In 2014, he founded Triceum, where he serves as CEO and leads the creation of its award-winning education video games. Andre's been named one of the top 100 EdTech influencers. He's an EdTech Leadership Award winner, former National Academy of Sciences board member, National Arts Education Association lead instructor, and Shillenium Game Jam chair. Whew. So um, it actually goes on from there, but we're going to run out of time if I read the whole thing. It, <laughs> I've known you for like 15 years, and I mean, there's there's lots you did before you even came into the game industry where I met you at EA, but then you transitioned. We both left EA, and then you went on to Texas A&M. So talk to me a little bit about that, that transition. How, how was that, going from industry – to the university setting. Yeah. So, well, thank you, Eric, for having me on, on the podcast. Um, really appreciate it. Happy to share uh, my experience. Yeah. So I was the, the head of graphics for the football franchises at EA. And I was fortunate enough to work with you there as well. And really enjoyed. When I left EA, um, A&M called up and said they wanted some help. I was an advisor to the school already at that point on behalf of EA. I would fly out twice a year, advise. Yeah, I always always really liked um AM University. Um the students, the faculty, you know, really felt you know, like home. You know, every time I came here. Um and I I liked it so much that one year I spent my PTO actually here at school instead of taking my family on vacation. I donated my time to the school to help out. And so when I left EA, the school called up and asked me if I would come here and help them with their gaming program. They recognized that games is growing and they should have some presence in the field and they're not, they weren't really able to get something started. So it's like, sure, 
Um, why not? It's a whole different career path for me, academia. I always enjoyed teaching, um, working with students. I find that really invigorating, refreshing. And so we, we took the jump out here and really, really enjoyed it. Um, academia is very different than industry. <laughs> um, the, the pace at which things move, the hierarchies and so on. Um, and some people struggle with that. Uh, I remember well, they... that was actually kind of where I was going, right? So we went from this environment that was super high risk, go, 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 go. It's fine if you fail to a university that generally is not um quite so receptive to fast paced risk taking stuff well so actually risk taking is is an everyday thing because that's research right when you start a research project you don't know the outcome um of that when you ask a question yeah so so risk is very very high but the pressures um of industry or the pace of industry is very different here there's different, um, you know, I, I hate to use the word, but KPIs, things that are indicative of your performance. Right. And a lot of faculty are actually just um, working on their own, right? It's not like at EA or in the movies where I work, where you have large teams and you work together. Here you're kind of like an independent contractor within the university, within the academy, doing your thing. Sometimes you may have a project that you work with with others um, in your department or in other departments or even at other schools. And many times you do your, because you have your research agenda that you're pursuing, you teach your classes. There is nobody else there. You're responsible for your class. Um, and then there's a service component where you help out, you're sitting on committees, um, hiring committees, tenure and promotion committees, and so on. And that's where you obviously do work with others. But the majority of the time, you kind of have to be on your own and, you know, chart your own path and be self-sufficient. There's nobody there telling you oh, what to do. Yeah. So I've realized that the first day I started, it's like, okay, now what? I was waiting for, well, somebody surely is going to show me my buddy or my mentor that's going to, you know, onboard me and show me the ropes. No, no, it doesn't. It's not a thing. So you, yeah. you've got to, you've got to figure things out for yourself. And so well, I started, imagine though, you know, cause I, I had some interaction with this too, right? So when I was at EA and I consulted with also some schools on their curriculum, you know, in the game thing. And, you know, what I experienced out there was most of these universities had folks that were teaching game design and game production and stuff who'd never worked in the industry. Yes. Right? Yeah. So yeah, they were desperate for, you know, somebody to step in and, and say, yeah, that you're, you're really old school in there. You know, that's not really how we do it anymore in the, you know, the current game industry. Uh, and that was my experience, say 15 years ago, uh, when I was at EA and, um, working with a couple of universities on their curriculum programs around games. So bless you for being willing to come in and really, you know, you know, this stuff. This is, you yeah. know, I mean, you're truly an expert. And so to be able to share what you know, uh, with the students and the university uh, is powerful. Well, thank you. Yeah. And it's not 
only that, because academia and the bureaucracy of academia, the administrative side of academia can be very, very daunting. About the same time I started at Texas A&M, a very well-respected industry veteran, um, Warren Spector, started at UT in Austin. Um, he re- received $10 million to start this game program at UT Austin. Unfortunately, for a variety of reasons, a few years later, he left. This was just not a an environment that he yeah. could really strive and excel in versus what we did. I didn't get any money to start the game program. It's like, okay, here, go go do something. Let's see what happens. You uh, must have been thinking, I did something wrong here. <laughs> right? Why did Warren get $10 million and I got nothing, right? Yeah. Right, right. Uh, so, but I was fortunate enough to have really amazing students, amazing faculty, you know, to work with, to to pull it off and, and thrive in the environment. Yeah, awesome. Well, I know you've done some just incredible things and I want to get into some of the the games you've developed. Uh, in fact, I remember having the opportunity back you know, a number of years ago now to play Arte Messina. Welcome to a whole new way of exploring art history. An immersive experience that takes students straight to the heart of 15th and 16th century Florence. This is Arte Mecenas, a revolutionary new way to teach art history. Right, the uh, the yeah. art history one. So let's talk about this, because you created some games for really university or high school to university level courses. And um, we'll talk about uh, Arte Messina uh, first. Give us a little okay. background on what that is and why you developed it. Yeah, so Arte Messina is an art history game that teaches students the connections between church, um, banking, and art. All about art patronage in early Renaissance. Uh, the player takes on the role as a Medici banker and has to make decisions that are not black and white, um, like real life. You know, they have to decide do they rather, um, you know, deal with one faction versus another, but the implications are not necessarily always straightforward. So the game kind of a came strategy with... game almost. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. And, and you're really embodying, you have to make those decisions because we, we believe, so I've been wanting to make educational games for a very, very long time. And um, it's been like a threat in my life um, for, as my partner said, for over 30 years since I've known him I'm in the early 90s. And so um, we believe that you have to do the thing you're trying for people to learn. They actually have to do it versus sitting there watching, reading, or hearing about it. So by embodying, by taking on the persona of a banker, of an art patron, they really learn about how oh, the connections, the interconnections, the relationship. The game came about when the department head came to me um, shortly after I started and said, we have this faculty, 
she's teaching these large art history survey classes and she's making a game. She's got some funding to make a game. And if I could have a look at it and give her some feedback. So like, yeah, absolutely be happy to. So I met with her, looked at the game and I'm like, oh, this is really not good. Uh, this is like a textbook on the screen, yeah. with graphics from the eighties. Uh, and she's like, yeah, I know. I don't know what to do. And so I've asked her, well, what do you know about making games? She said, well, nothing. It's like, well, yep. so why did you start with? Well, I thought, you know, I have a couple of students. I know games, you know, this shouldn't be that hard. It's like, well, it is. <laughs> and so we got some funding and I partnered up with her and we started developing Artemis Ennis to really address for her classes. Because 150 students in the classroom, I observed the classroom, many of the students were not paying attention to what she was saying or doing. They were doing homeworks, they were doing emails, they were watching YouTube. Um, they're just sitting in a large lecture hall. You know, they're just present, but they're not really engaged. And creating the game really, really changed that. The moment we brought it into the classroom, all... We had, so when we tested it, 128 students there, all but two students totally engaged. They paired up because not everybody had a computer at the time. They paired up, played together. They were talking about the game. They were deeply engaged. We actually had to kick them out at the end of class because they didn't want to stop. Yeah. And then the next class period, so the faculty assigned it as homework. And then people came in. She told me she's never seen anything like that. They're all walking in class talking about the class and the content versus the latest football scores or the weather or, you know, whatever yeah. young students may talk about. They were so engaged. Their game really, really changed the way she was teaching the class. Yeah, no, it's, it's a great example. And I, and I was chuckling because I had such a similar experience with the Hong Kong Polytechnic University. They approached me. They had a budget to do some game and they showed me a game students had created. And I had the same reaction. I was just like, Oh no, this, you know, I, yeah, this is, um, you spent six months developing this thing and right. There was kind of no rhyme or reason to it. And. Virtually no learning was going to happen because students were just going to be lost trying to figure out what they were supposed to do and why. You know, it was a good attempt, and I'm sure the students learned a lot of development, but yeah, they didn't understand game design. Um, now, <laughs> I, as you know, do not have graphic skills, though. So the game I made for them right. was a low-res 2D, very simple thing. I did the graphics myself, which I know how frightening that is, and uh <laughs> And it was, yes, the greatest criticism of the game um, afterwards was that uh, it looked very amateur, and it was uh, from that regard. But um, it was really low budget. We did it really fast in a JavaScript open source game engine uh, called phaser.io. Uh, but the same response, though, in the class, when the students played it in class, we, we could barely get them to stop. Um, they, yeah, they uh, they were so engaged and competitive. <laughs> they wanted right. to win, right? They wanted to get the highest score. And uh, yes, even at university level, um, we can get a great response when you take the time, um, which is difficult to get the budget and the time to build these yep. things. But when we do, um, yeah, I think it's really, really rewarding. 
uh, to see. Now you've been able to take that game though. I mean, it was done for that one particular class, but it's now available and out there. And, and how many schools are, are using it now? Oh, quite a few schools, um, all around the world. Um, yeah. So this game, when we had it, we also realized, okay, well, we've got something that's working, but from a research lab, we can't really support technology students or teachers if they use it. So we, we figured out, okay, what do we do? Because we can't just hand it over because it's going to die and the teacher. So that wasn't going, going right, yeah. to, to work. The teacher wasn't going to be able to keep it going. So we tried to find a publisher. Of course, first approached the game publishers and they're like, oh, no, 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 no. And we do entertainment games, educational games. There's no money. Um, not going to touch that. And yeah. That's why there's very low budget. There's, you yep. know, make money. This, this is not a place where you get rich. Yep. Then we went to textbook publishers and they're like, Oh, super excited. Fantastic. This is great. We can give that away with our books because we're selling books. And we're <laughs> like, yeah, no, that's not really what we had in mind because it's going to die just as quickly because if you don't invest in it and keep yep. it going, uh, because it's technology and at that you time, give it away, you know, it has no value. Yes, And at the time, the university then said, well, why don't you start up a company? We'll help you spin off out of the lab. And so Tricene was born. So I got together with the former CFO from Tiburon. Tiburon is the name of the studio with EA where Andre and I both worked in Florida. Uh, my good friend Rahul and we founded Triceum in 2014 who would take the game, polish it, create it, um, finish it up so that it can be maintained, supported and sold to other schools, not just AM. And that's the first out of four games. Uh, we now have three games in the art history series and one game in the calculus series on the math side. Yeah, well, let's talk about that one because that really fascinates me. <laughs> so, and you know, full disclosure, I have never taken calculus. And one of the reasons I think I've never taken calculus is because it just scares me. And, <laughs> um, I would, nobody ever made me take calculus. So I just avoided it all the way through four university degrees. I, I managed to get four degrees without ever taking a calculus class, but I also remember my son. Uh, you know, we were talking earlier about my son switching from engineering uh, when he was at UCF. And part of the reason was because he hated calculus. So you created a game, though. So yeah. tell us about that one. Yeah, so like you, um, I never taken a calculus class, but I was very, very good at math. Um, I was a math Olympian back in high school, made it all the way to the um, state level um, in Germany. And, and really enjoyed it. And then I started, you know, doing computer graphics and computer graphics, you do use a lot of math, you use a lot of calculus, you know. And so one day I thought to myself, well, you know what? I use this math every day. How about I teach myself a little bit more about it? You know, so I understand more the fundamentals. So I picked up a calculus book and I was ready to dive in. And yes, I'm going to learn calculus. And I was about to shoot myself. Yeah, um, yeah, I thought about it, it too, but I just looked at the book and said, I'm not even buying this. I'll never get through this. Yeah, and so that was just no way this is going to work. So this is like one of the most tedious, boring things. I mean, for me, um, that I could envision. It's like, well, 
why don't I make a game, you know, to teach myself calculus? Because I believe in the power of games to teach. Every, remember, every game teaches you something. Yep. Yeah. And so I approached EA and saying, how about we make a calculus game? I think it would be, you know, a lot of people struggle with it and it would be a good thing. One executive, I know the reaction you're going to get well, there. <laughs> yeah, one executive told me, well, A, you can't make calculus fun, and B, there's no money in educational games. Well, yeah. the same executive, since we've created the game, um, has turned around and said, well, apparently you can make calculus fun. But B is still true, you know, <clears throat> the, the money portion. So when I came to A&M, Quickly, I realized I, I had students in my class and we were talking about computer graphics and I was asking them some math questions and I was just getting blank stares. I was like, well, don't you all have to take calculus? And they're like, yeah, absolutely. But we go to another school to do our calculus, get the credit transferred over here because it's required you know, for our degree, but we're done with it. Because if we take it here, we would fail. Or you would learn, I say. I mean, I mean, so you got the credit, but you actually didn't learn calculus. What's the point in that? You know, that really bothered me. And so I, I got together with the math department. We got funding, got a grant to say, okay, well, we got to address that. And the research shows over 40% of students are failing calculus in the U.S. and in Europe. And if you don't pass calculus, a STEM degree is out of the question. I mean, any science, technology, engineering, math, I mean, business, architecture, right? They all require calculus. Um, if you can't pass calculus, you're done, right? You're switching to something else. I just want to make sure you caught that. Andre said 40% of students fail calculus, and that is a critical path course for any degree in STEM. And so we've created this game to specifically address that issue, to help students master calculus. And it's the first game in a series of four games, because one game can't cover all of Calculus 1, but it really designed to help the students and give the teacher another tool in their tool belt um, that they can use in the classroom to engage the students and show them a different way of doing math and helping them. And it's proven very, very successful in that regard. So let's talk about proven. <laughs> yes. So how do you measure the the learning, right, that, that comes out of a game like, uh, and it's called Variant Limits, right? That's correct, the, yeah. The, the current one, right, the uh, – first one in the series of four uh, for calculus. So, yes, how do you know that they're really learning? Oh, I'm such a tease. I know you want to find out how Andre and his team measure learning outcomes with their games. But you're going to have to listen to part two to hear the rest of our conversation. One thing I hope you take away from this episode is that making learning games is hard. But when you put the time and effort into it, the results can be absolutely incredible. Can you imagine university students showing up for an art history class excited about the material and engaging in discussions about it? 
If you teach art history and you haven't yet clicked on the link in the show notes to the Arte Messinas game, what are you waiting for? Go learn more about the games Triceum has available. If you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe and share. We have more awesome guests lined up and amazing stories of innovation and education that you don't want to miss. Please reach out if you have comments or suggestions. I'm Eric Byron. Thanks for listening, and thanks to all those education innovators out there. You are making a difference.